0: Flash Forward. I'm Rose and I'm your host. Flash Forward is a podcast about the future. Every episode we take on a different possible or not so possible future scenario. We always start with a little trip to the future to check out what's going on before we zip back to today to talk about how this future might really go down or might not really go down. Got it? Great. Let's head to the year 2063.
1: Irish. Hi there, can I help you?
0: Hi. Yeah, I'm looking for a place to stay for the next three nights. Do you have any vacancies?
1: We don't have any private rooms right now, but we do have a bunk in our communal room open.
0: Okay, that's fine. Um, how much is it? 45 euros. That seems like a lot for a shared room. Well, we do poetry readings every evening
1: and you get a free ticket with your stay.
0: Okay, I guess I'll take it. Hola. Spanish Hello Hi, I'm Rose Ford, encantado. I'm Ford Motor Company Sorry, what was your name? F- Ford Ford Motor Company Ford? Ford, like Ford a river?
1: No, not river Ford
0: Okay, Ford Got it Do you want to go see the poetry reading? I think it's
1: starting soon
0: Sure, just let me put my stuff away
1: No translation found.
0: I'm sorry, what? Hebrew. Hey,
1: descendant, your face is very strange. It must be odd not to see your own mouth. Seeking language. Seeking language. Steer script. Can lang? would you like to buy the plugin? Hey, can I buy you a drink?
0: Oh, uh, no thanks.
1: Okay. Have you been to a poetry reading here before?
0: No, I just flew in today. Um, What are they like?
1: Oh, you are in for a tree. They are interesting, really interesting. Nothing else really kind of poetry like it in the city. Oh, all kinds. But, I mean, yeah, know the point of these readings is that they're bad poetry, right?
2: What? Yeah, it's an, an open
1: mic for bad, bad poetry.
2: poetry
1: the worst poetry people can that's write that's the point
3: Potty, 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 green potty, green potty, grumpy party Morning, midsummer growing potty. Discovery. Oh. Puddy.
0: So this week we're talking about universal translation. A babel fish.
1: The babel fish is small, yellow, leech-like, and probably the oddest thing in the universe. It feeds on brainwave energy, absorbing all unconscious frequencies and then excreting telepathically a matrix formed from the conscious frequencies and nerve signals picked up from the speech centres of the brain. The practical upshot of which is that if you stick one in your ear, you instantly understand anything sent to you in any form of language. The speech you hear decodes the brainwave matrix. Now, it is such a bizarre
0: Every few months, there seems to be a news story about how some company has invented a babblefish. Star Trek-like Universal Translator comes to Skype was one headline I saw. The language barrier is about to fall is another headline. The future is now. But machine translation is actually still not that great. And these overhyped stories are, let's say, frustrating to the people who actually do translations for a living,
3: what i think frustrates me more than anything is there is so much um journalistic drivel out there today when it comes to language um there are these little short pieces that don't go beyond maybe 300 words and they have these hyperbolic um uh, headlines that say um Language barrier defeated, um, you know, Microsoft um, Skype Translate takes care of all of your language needs. And people that go for the quick sound bite read that and they're saying, okay, problem solved. Oh, so it's all good. I'll just download it to my, uh, my um, tablet computer or my smartphone and away we go. But reality is seldom that simple.
0: That's Barry Slaughter Olson. He's the founder of a group called Interpret America, which is more or less a PR group to tell people about the work of translators and interpreters, people who work in the so-called language services industry.
3: Within our profession, there has often been an idea that good translators are never seen or heard of. They do such a wonderful job that people don't realize they're reading a translation, Or good interpreters do such a good job that people forget that they're listening to an interpreter as someone else speaks in another language. When we do our job really well, we disappear. And from a PR standpoint, I guess, if you think about that, the better you do your job, the less people realize you're even there. Hence, over time, they'll think, well, do we need interpreters or hasn't that been resolved by technology
0: So it's Barry's job to tell people about what translators and interpreters do. And there is, I learned, a difference between those two things, between translation and interpretation.
3: Translation is written and interpreting is spoken. So if you need a piece of paper um, or a document translated, then it's going to be a translator that would do that. If you need to speak with a potential business partner from China, you need an interpreter. So just a simple difference, but one that many people don't understand. So um, yeah, I had no idea. So there you go. I've already helped achieve
0: uh, <laughs> another victory
3: for Interpreter America and in explaining the difference between translation and interpreting.
0: Put it on the big scoreboard.
3: Yeah. Hey, we keep track. <laughs> I've I, another hash mark here on my wall.
0: <laughs> now, if you are, say, an English speaker living in a country and community where English is the dominant language, you might not realize how big the language services industry actually is. To demonstrate just how much translation touches everything around us, Barry challenged me to a little game.
3: Pick an industry and let me see if I can tell you where translation and interpreting would be applicable.
0: Oh, this is fun. OK, OK, let me think. Um Dog walking
3: dog walking. Well, let's say that perhaps your um, dog walker does not speak English. You may have to have find some way that you would actually be able to understand each other. It may be a very rudimentary level, but you need to know when they should show up to walk the dog and uh, when they need to be back, and then you have to negotiate how much they're going to be paid. But, wow, that's 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 one that I nef- I don't know off the top of my head where there's been a requirement for an additional interpreter to be there. That might be one of those areas where um, Google Translate or one of the other machine translation engines now available on a smartphone may be able to help you get by with your non-English-speaking dog walker. Give me another one. <laughs> I
0: stumped one. you. Okay. Um, how about... Um, go like movies, like TV production and movies.
3: TV production and movies. Let me give you a really good example. Um, let's take Downton Abbey, a very popular uh, series. It's become an international phenomenon. And not everybody understands that beautiful British English. And so there have to either be subtitles or there has to be a dubbing of the dialogue.
0: So if we really could perfect computerized translation, all of this could simply be done by machines, which has some serious consequences for people's jobs and the economy. According to one report I found, the translation services industry is expected to be worth $37 billion in 2018. According to the US Bureau of Labor Statistics, in 2014 translation and interpreting employed 61,000 Americans. Now, you often hear about robots coming for people's jobs, and this is a place where that could happen.
3: Technology really has become a huge um, elephant in the room, if you will, for translators and interpreters because there has been such uh, progress made towards improving um, productivity for written translation. And then you have the whole issue of machine translation that is really shaking up the industry significantly.
0: But we're still really far away from that. You've probably witnessed some Google translation fails of your own. A couple of years ago, I was in Portugal and a menu was advertising filthy soup. We figured that that had to be a mistake, that filthy soup is not something any restaurant would actually advertise. And we worked out that it was soup that had pork in it. Pork had been turned to swine, and swine had been translated to filthy. Filthy soup. Last year, a small town in northwestern Spain was holding a culinary festival celebrating something called a grello, which is a leafy green vegetable that's really common in the region. They wrote their promotional materials in Galician and used Google Translate to convert them to Spanish, but Google Translate messed up. It messed up really badly. Instead of advertising a grello festival, suddenly this small town was advertising a clitoris festival. The translation of the announcement in Spanish read, The clitoris is one of the typical products of Galician cuisine. Since 1981, the festival has made the clitoris one of the star products of its local gastronomy. Yikes. And, okay, come on, that's pretty funny. But Google Translate's imperfections can become very not funny very quickly. In November of last year, a Chinese woman in Virginia Beach was arrested and taken to jail on charges of prostitution. But she didn't speak any English, and the cops at the precinct didn't speak any Chinese. So what they did was they pulled up Google Translate and put questions into it, had her answer them in Chinese back into Google Translate, and have them read the English translation. Now these are questions like, do you want to harm yourself? Do you belong to a gang? Do you understand your legal situation? If Google makes any kind of mistake in any of the steps going from English to Chinese and then Chinese back to English, that could have huge consequences for this woman. So Barry says that he wants people to be more careful before they whip out their translation app and assume that it can bridge a language barrier without a problem. Now, before you write Barry off as a Luddite who just hates technology, I will tell you that he is not. He's actually really interested in machine translation and how it can help interpreters do their jobs better.
3: I'm actually fascinated by all of that. The idea of deep neural networks and really doing what they're able to do now with statistical machine translation is really cool. And it has some great applications.
0: Take, for example, interpreters who work in war zones. Since 2009, the United States has employed tens of thousands of Iraqis and Afghans to travel around with coalition forces and interpret conversations for them.
3: Who would go out on patrol, who would be in harm's way. If you talk to the military that have served in Iraq and Afghanistan, they will tell you that their interpreters were their lifeline. Without them, they couldn't do their job. And there are stories Um, about how interpreters have saved the lives of many, many troops and defused situations.
0: But now that coalition forces are leaving Iraq and Afghanistan, they don't need those interpreters anymore. And it's not just that those people are now out of a job. Many of them rightfully fear for their lives. The Taliban has executed interpreters. Thousands of interpreters have applied for special immigrant visas, which were set up to help people who assisted the coalition forces. But the State Department can't process these applications fast enough. According to a Pentagon spokesperson, in Afghanistan, the U.S. employed about 11,000 interpreters. But the State Department permanent visa program for translators accepts only 50 applicants every year. So what if interpreters didn't have to be there in the field with the soldiers? What if you could have a machine translation system do a lot of the basic word to word translation and then have some kind of camera that the interpreter could be watching through to help augment that with notes on things like culturally specific nuances or correcting the machine translation where it might be wrong?
3: If I think in the future, I don't know that we're going to be able to end wars. I think they're going to continue and I think people will continue to speak different languages. What if they didn't have to put people in those kinds of situations? and still were able to get the job done. They didn't have to be physically present where people were in harm's way.
0: It's these kinds of systems where a computer helps a person do their job better or helps them focus in on the harder parts of their job and do those really well. That's what Barry is excited about when it comes to machine translation. But Barry also isn't convinced that we will ever manage to turn everything over to
3: machines. The reality is that Human communication is so much more than words and context. It's emotion. It's, it's, it's just so much more. I struggle um, understanding how we could think that we could boil down the human experience to mathematical equations. Because being human is a lot more than just that. But anyway,
2: you know, people think that words and sentences mean things, but they don't. People mean things and they use words and sentences as tools. Um, my name is Julie Sedevi and I'm a, uh, a writer and a, an adjunct professor at the University of Calgary currently.
0: So Julie obviously agrees with Barry that some parts of language make a true babblefish really hard to achieve.
2: This is a, a much more difficult task than it appears because so much of communication isn't on the surface of the language. You go up to someone that you've seen a few times, maybe you've had some casual social interactions, and you say, hey, I was thinking of seeing a movie tonight. Do you have any plans? All right, so on the face of it, You've informed them of your intention for the evening, and you've asked them a question about their plans. But it's unlikely that what you're trying to do with those words and sentences is to exchange information about what you're doing for the evening. If it's someone that you know very well and that you've spent a lot of time hanging out with, maybe you're just inviting them to a movie. But if it's someone that you don't know well, and um, you don't have a history of hanging out, that becomes a little bit more loaded as a request. Um, and then they would respond in kind, kind of dancing around trying to figure out exactly what it is that you're trying to do uh, with that question.
0: But she does think that while we'll never get to a full-on, fully fluent robot translator, we will get good enough robot translators.
2: I don't think that's unrealistic over the next few decades to, to think that we'll probably have machine translation systems that will allow people to have... Uh, Practical transactions, you know, involving buying and selling of things.
0: Right now, Google Translate isn't great at a lot of translations, like we heard earlier, but it can often get you the basic gist of what's going on. So it's not hard to imagine a future where there's some kind of babblefish that isn't going to translate a beautiful poem, but will let you order food or find your hotel or get a drink without a problem. And in that future, those really detailed translation things, that's where all the jobs are going to go. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie with Joachim
2: Phoenix um, called Her. So that's the story of a guy who falls in love with his operating system, right? What struck me about that movie is, so he lives in this highly automated world. And he's a professional writer. He There's no evidence that he has any technical skill or competence whatsoever. He's a writer. And his day job is to show up at an office and compose personal letters for people, for clients, and I thought that was really interesting and in a sense kind of realistic in that if you imagine a universe where a lot of the regular linguistic functions are being taken over by automation, what's not is exactly those really complex subtle aspects of communication that would be present in letter writing, writing
0: personal letters. But what if we did have a really, truly fluent machine translation system? What would that be like? When we come back, we're going to talk about all of the ways that this system might change our lives, who they would work best for, and how they might be meddled with. But first, a quick break. So this week we're talking about a future with universal translation machines, where the language barrier really has fallen. We've talked about what translation and interpretation actually are, and we've talked about why it would be so hard to create a really, truly fluent system. But this is a podcast about the future. So let's say that we've solved all of these problems and we actually really have this thing, a babblefish. The first question I had was whether or not this would change how fast people lose or gain languages. If we can all translate everything in real time, when you move to a new country, do you have to learn that language? The big giant languages really are a lot like Microsoft, right? You have to use
2: Microsoft Office because everybody else does and because it's just easier to do that. It might not have anything to do with your own preferences. So that definitely plays a role in languages and language loss.
0: That's Julie again, and she knows this question quite well.
2: So when I was a kid, you know, starting school, um, this is, I think, a universal experience of immigrant kids is that it becomes really clear what the advantages of knowing the dominant languages are. Um, Those benefits far outweigh, in many cases, the benefits of knowing your family language. Um, The pressure to integrate with friends socially, right? As as soon as you enter a social environment that's outside of your immediate family, you become really aware of the requirement uh, to learn this language. So in much of my early life, that was really where my linguistic energies were focused. And my heritage language, Czech, became less and less relevant because the social context in which I spoke Czech was very, very limited. And of course, the costs of not speaking Czech declined over time as well, as everybody in my family learned English. We we didn't really require Czech anymore to communicate with each other.
0: And she doesn't think that that social pressure is going to change, even if technically we can all communicate using these devices.
2: Um, So what it wouldn't do, I think, is stop immigrants who come to a a country like uh, the United States or Canada, for example. I don't think it would necessarily um, keep them from learning the dominant language at the expense of their original language. And that's because um, integration requires such intimate interaction with the dominant culture.
0: But aside from learning the dominant language wherever you move, do people just stop learning languages? I mean, is there any point in learning Spanish if you're never going to get better than this machine at speaking Spanish? Oh, I think there's a tremendous demand.
4: I mean, look at how popular the language learning apps are. I don't, I don't think I know anybody who hasn't at least tried one of those language learning apps. That's Erin McKean. And I run worddict.com, the world's biggest online English dictionary. I, I don't know anybody who thinks that learning another language is a stupid thing to do. Like, it, it it's not like, you know, oh, I'm going to go base jumping, right? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to learn Portuguese. You know, it might say, oh, well, you know, maybe there are better ways that you could use your time, but...
0: Learning a language is considered to be good in and of itself. So while people might not have to learn a language to get by, they will still want to learn a language because they want to be the kind of person who learns languages. And there are all sorts of things like today that people do as weird hobbies that
4: 200 years ago were just stuff that you had to do every day. Like anybody you know probably who bakes bread who's not a professional baker is... So far past, like, the people who used to bake bread every day because they wanted to eat. Now they're all artisanal and they post lots of Instagrams, you know? <laughs> Once language learning becomes a commodity that is available to everyone, al- there are always going to be people who do it in a kind of recreational,
0: artisanal way. And even if machine translators are really, really, really good, people are still going to value human translation, just because we like humans. Oh, it'll
4: be a luxury good.
0: Like, you know, if
4: your mass market novel will be machine translated into every language on Earth, but, you know, bestsellers are going to have it written into their contracts that they get a human translator. And it'll be, (laughs) it'll, it'll be like a... Uh, a little sticker on the front of the book, just like if your book's p- picked by Oprah, it'll see translated by humans. And I think it will become like a star-bellied sneetches situation where people will differentiate between those speaking a language quote-unquote naturally and those speaking a language with augmentation. And so there'll be... <laughs> there'll be an arms race for smaller and smaller and smaller and, smaller and less obtrusive babblefish, and there'll be web pages that will help you decide whether, like, the romantic
0: prospect you're talking to really speaks your language or is babblefishing you. And because it's a luxury good, people will also probably try to fake it. Uh, there'll
4: be a whole like internet forum of translator conspiracy takedown groups where they like. Do machine translation against the same work that the human translator has done and try to prove that they used machine translation instead? They'll be translator truthers.
0: Now like anything that humans train, these systems are only as good as the data that they learn from, which means that there will be all kinds of bias coded into these translators.
4: Who's going to decide whose language is worthy of being the model for the input to the system? Because it's not going to be the language varieties that we deprecate now. It's not going to be the language of teenagers. It's not going to be uh, probably women's language for English. It's almost certainly people are going to say, oh, we don't want to put in African-American vernacular English. All the language varieties that are discriminated against unreasonably now are certainly going to be discriminated against as inputs for machine translation.
0: In other words, the early systems will almost certainly be based on the way that rich white dudes talk. But eventually, people will want things that sound like themselves. And here's a thing that you should totally invest in when it gets invented branded language plugins. I think that we'll see celebrity branded plugins.
4: So young Chinese women are going to buy the Taylor Swift plugin for English, so that everybody will sound like Taylor Swift.
0: Yeah, it's like perfumes, but like way more. <laughs> you can right. smell like her, you can sound like her.
4: It'll be a licensing opportunity. And they'll, they'll, they'll go back and digitize, you know, Marilyn Monroe and, and Elvis and all those other people who, have you know, have estates
0: overseeing their likeness rights. But beyond being branded or biased, the system could also be gamed. There's this technique called Google bombing, which is basically a way to prank Google results. And you could do this with machine translation. The idea is that you link a certain word or phrase with a certain translation over and over and over again online so that when a system like Google Translate is learning and comparing texts, it learns your bogus translation instead of the one that it should know.
4: So let's say that you wanted to um, basically prank the entire French language. Uh, what you would try to do is have as many parallel texts as possible that for the French phrase, I don't know, liberty, equality, fraternity, right? It translated in English to um, barbecue potato chips or something else ridiculous. Freedom fries. Freedom fries. Something, Yeah. Um, And so then, anyone who used the system and wanted to say that
0: phrase in English, it would sound absurd. Now, this isn't easy to do, but something like it has been done before, and you know that people will try. And a few years ago, there was this weird sort of conspiracy theory about a secret code living inside Google Translate. For a while, when you would put the standard Latin placeholder text that people use to indicate that words go in this box, you know, the like lorem ipsum, et cetera, et cetera, you got some weird results. So lorem ipsum was coming back as NATO. It stopped happening pretty quickly, but there were plenty of tinfoil hat conspiracy theories about it.
4: I think it would be like a tool of spycraft, right? Your Your deep cover agent would machine translate some innocuous piece of popular
0: literature, and what came out would be, you know, the instructions. So one of you should write a movie about this and then tell me about it so that I can watch it. Now, anytime people talk about universal translation, there are questions about whether or not this is going to make languages less complex. Because everybody is talking through a machine, and that machine might have some flaws, we might move towards a more uniform, easy to translate way of speaking.
2: So there may be some scaling back, right? So uh, this is something that gets under my skin all the time. The tolerance that people have developed for poor audio quality. you know, as a result of digitized music, people just accept really crappy sound quality in their music now. And I often wonder whether that has the effect of shifting music to less complex forms um, because you just don't have the capacity to reproduce the, the detail and complexity of sound that you used to be able to have access to easily and cheap, you know, without, without um, going to extremely expensive audio equipment. So I think that's a real possibility, is that we're going to start tolerating a less complex linguistic style of interactions in many, uh, you know, much of our daily life. That I think that's a possibility. I wouldn't rule that out.
0: Yeah, it's like the Beats by Dre version of language. Yeah, yeah. But Aaron says that also the opposite could happen. As, you know, as a
4: dictionary editor, I'm always like, well, well what's in it for the words, right? And... I would see that it would be really interesting if it caused this explosion of loan borrowings across languages. So let's say you say something in English, it gets translated into French. You see, ooh, that French word looks really cool. I'm going to start using it to mean that when I speak English without the plugin, because English borrows words from other languages all the time, and other languages borrow English words too, although mostly for like technical and scientific stuff. But if it if it kind of just started this giant word swap across all the languages. That would be really cool from my point of view.
0: Plus, it might make us all more willing to try big words that we used to be scared of. Yeah, oh, actually, this
4: would be my favorite, favorite unintended consequence, which is that people would be way more comfortable using 50-cent words because they would know everyone would understand them and they would use them because they're fun and awesome and cool and oftentimes the most precise term. And you wouldn't feel like oh, you know, I'm going to sound like a snob, you would say, oh, I'm using a cool word because I can.
0: That's all for this future. For more on machine translation, language, and a world without language barriers, head to flashforwardpod.com. And if you're a patron, you'll get a cool bonus thing about language this Friday. So if it is before Friday and you go sign up as a patron, you will get it and it will be awesome. What do you think? Would you use one of these? Do you want to live in this future? What would you Google bomb? Call and tell us at 347-927-1425 or send a voice memo to flashforwardpod.com. Flashforward is produced by me, Rose Eveleth, and is part of the Boing Boing podcast family. The intro music is by Asura and the outro music is by Broke for free. Special thanks this week to our language speakers from the intro. I'm going to try to not butcher all of your names, but I will probably fail. So, special thanks to Kieran Doyle, David Fiez, Josh Newman, and Noe Ramayera hope that was even close. The episode art is by Matt Libchansky. If you want to suggest a future we should take on, send us a note on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. I love hearing your ideas, so keep sending them. And if you think you've spotted one of the references that I've hidden in this episode, email us there too. If you're right, I will send you something cool. And if you want to support the show and try to get us back on a weekly schedule, there are a few ways you can do that as well. I've already mentioned Patreon. You can go there. You can give money. That would be super helpful. If you can't do that, tell your friends about the show. More listeners means more money for me, which means more likely able to do weekly. Yeah. That doesn't, that's not a good sentence. The more people who listen to the show, the more I can make the show. So telling friends really might seem silly and like it doesn't do much, but it really does. And if you have an extra five seconds in your day and you want to go to iTunes and leave us a good review, that would be awesome as well. That really does help too. Okay, that's all for this future. Come back next time and we'll travel to a new one.